It was a little over a year ago when the first COVID-19 vaccines started going into arms in Canada. And many of us thought, this is the beginning of the end of the pandemic. Well, it hasn't quite worked out that way. And with the rise of the Omicron variant, in some ways, it almost feels like we're back to square one. We're back to closed gyms and theaters and kids learning from home instead of being in the classroom. As we get closer to the two-year mark of the pandemic, there's no question this has been hard on all of us. Parents, teachers, students, restaurant workers, pretty much everyone. But you could easily make the argument that it has been especially hard on our healthcare workers. Many are sick, tired, and facing abuse from patients and families. And some of them have had enough. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we speak to Dr. Adam Kassam. He's the president of the Ontario Medical Association. We also talked to Doris Greenspun, the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. This is COVID Burnout, our healthcare worker crisis. Here's your host, Craig Needles. It's easy to find the posts on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Posts from doctors or nurses who are burned out. This one is from Reddit. I need to vent. I'm just angry and fed up. I liked this job originally, but it has gone bad really fast. I know we all talk about staffing and low pay. This hospital isn't the exception. The Omicron wave is just terrible. Nurses are dropping like flies. There is a big staff outbreak of COVID. I found out last night one of our nurses came in with COVID symptoms, knowing we have a staff outbreak, and kept their mask off to talk to people because they can't raise their voice to talk. They got to take the whole mask off. And now a few of our patients are also testing positive for COVID after being negative when they came up to the floor. Those of us who haven't gotten sick yet or are coming back from a five-day quarantine have been doing what feels like double the workload. My manager refuses to hire more staff because we have one FEMA nurse, yet half the staff is out with COVID or quitting. Yesterday was my breaking point. I had four patients on step down, which would have been okay normally, but no tech and CNA, and it can get hectic. The previous shift left the biggest mess, and I can't blame them because I know they were also overwhelmed. It took about four hours to sort through those issues before I could even start my shift's work. Each time I went into someone's room, I get a call from Telly that someone else is desatting into the 60s, or someone was trying to get out of bed and I I just felt so overwhelmed. Even when I asked for help, I was drowning because there was little help I could get since everyone else was drowning too. I ended up with an admin on top of this who needed Q1 sugars and was incontinent BNB. I cried so bad when I clocked out. I can't do this anymore. I started applying for other jobs last night, and as soon as I get my offer, I'm putting in an immediate notice. I was so excited to work as a nurse, and now I feel jaded to this profession for the shitty conditions I've had to endure. When I worked retail, I was treated better. At least I got breaks and a lunch. That's just one example of what the people who make up our healthcare system are going through right now. They're exhausted, frustrated, upset. The job for some has become thankless and joyless. Workloads are spiking in resources are declining, and posts like the one you just heard are becoming more and more common. Doctors, nurses, and healthcare staff across the country are on the brink of collapse. To most people, it's easy to put the fault for this on COVID-19, but in reality, this has been happening under the surface for years. The pandemic only exacerbated it. Dr. Adam Kassam is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Canada is one of the lowest 
uh, has one of the lowest rates of acute care beds per 1,000 people uh, among its peer nations. And that's not good enough. We also have uh, some of the longest wait times uh, for specialist care for a number of reasons. We don't have enough specialists and we don't have enough infrastructure. And so that's got to that's got to improve. And so I think and, and, and COVID has represented a very unique phenomenon where every single person in our society has been affected simultaneously at the same time. You know, it used to be that, oh, well, if you had an issue in long-term care, you might not necessarily have as much attention drawn upon it because it it doesn't affect other areas. Well, you know, every single part of society, small business, um, uh, retail, uh, schools, uh, education workers, essential care workers, essential workers, factory workers, they're all affected at the same, at the exact same time. I feel like a lot of people in healthcare uh, and in the healthcare sector are, um, losing some of that joy of work. And I think the, the pandemic in, for some, for some folks is, has, has served as the last nail in the coffin. And that's, um, you know, it's sort of a, a tragedy in and of itself. We know that as a society in Ontario, uh, we're both a growing and an aging population, which means that we're going to have the need for more healthcare services, not less as we, as we progress here. And so we we've had a chronic under resourcing of our system for quite some time for decades. In fact, we have a shortage of physicians for example, which is manifested by example uh, in the million people of Ontario that don't have access to a family doctor. This can't continue uh, to be the case. We, we need to be able to resource and, and have the adequate funding for family doctors and other, and other specialists to, to have the care uh, provided in a timely and effective way. We also need the infrastructure to be able to do that. So if you're, if we're talking about, for example, wait lists of close to two years for a hip and knee replacement, we need not only, um, the surgeons to be able to do that and we need, and we, and we, we have a shortage right now, but we also need the, the, the operating space time and resources to be able to perform those operations. And so trying to figure out, uh, that, uh, that, that matching of demand and, and, and supply along with the resources necessary, that's going to be our biggest challenge and our biggest task forward. Long wait times and a shortage of family doctors are nothing new. Before the pandemic, the situation was passable for most of us. But when you add COVID-19 into the equation, what we have just is not sustainable. So COVID has had, of course, a significant level of burnout associated with it across the healthcare sector, not only just in hospitals, but but of course, even widely uh, within the physician community right across the province. And so we have to remember that 75% of all care that's delivered to the patients of Ontario happen outside the four walls of a hospital. So that's in a family doctor's office or a pediatrician's clinic or an outpatient uh, colonoscopy suite, for example. And so uh, across the sector, there has been a significant amount of burnout. We know that, uh, in fact, burnout has interestingly, but unfortunately, uh, been found on both, on both sides of the spectrum of, um, of, of career. So we're finding that early career physicians uh, are experiencing a significant level of burnout. There are many reasons we believe that this is happening. Uh, part of that has to do with technology and the driver of technology is, is part of the problem and not necessarily part of the solution, even though uh, we believe digital tools uh, for healthcare are a path forward for the future. We also know that there are physicians who were perhaps on the cusp of retirement who are, who've unfortunately made the decision to, to, to retire early because of COVID for a number of reasons, whether it's infrastructure challenges, whether it's personal health challenges, whether it's uh, having uh, less access to some of the resources that they need in to be able to continue to do the work that they need, such as PPE and other things. And so uh, right across the board, we're seeing a significant amount of of burnout. In fact, three quarters of physicians that we polled over the past year uh, have experienced some level of burnout, and that's up from 66% the year before. And so we're seeing a a steady rise of burnout uh, that is alarming. Here's that stat again, if you didn't catch it. 
75% of physicians in Ontario over the last year have reported burnout. There are 43,000 physicians in the province. That means roughly 32,000 of them are experiencing or have experienced some form of burnout. And then came Omicron, the most contagious and fast-spreading COVID variant yet. And that brings us to where we are today. And right now, obviously, with Omicron, we are seeing a significant rise in case numbers, but also uh, hospitalizations that are associated with that. Um, you know, there, so the, the good news is that some of the data out of the WHO and, and, and other jurisdictions like South Africa and the United Kingdom show a slight decoupling between uh, hospitalizations and ICU numbers and case numbers. But what we are finding is if we have a significant amount of people who uh, contract the Omicron variant simultaneously, then that may put pressure on our on our healthcare system. Coupled with that increase in demand is is shortfalls in supply. And so what we find is that right now, some of the isolation protocols that are required for healthcare workers, if they are in touch with or have, uh, have, have been exposed to Omicron, they have to isolate for a certain period of time. And they're all, that's all happening at the same time as well. So not only do you have a, a vastly increased demand on our healthcare services, but you're finding that the staffing ratios are now much more challenging. And that's having a direct result on our ability to provide services in hospitals and in other areas. Put plainly, we are not prepared for the caseloads that are happening and will continue to happen. So what does that look like at hospitals in this province? Here's Doris Grinspun, the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. We went to this pandemic with the lowest rent per population in this country. And we warned OHA on and on and on and the CEOs of hospitals that were replacing Karen's right, left and center, that will happen what happened during SARS and it was a disaster except that SARS was short, and here is 23 months already with the virus that has no mercy on anyone. So uh, we are paying the price of um, hospitals replacing Karen's ongoingly. Uh, my biggest fear uh, and my colleagues' fear is that we will see triage of patients and even of kids uh, if something is not done. This is why, by the way, RNO is asking for moving to step one now. We should not have moved to step two. That's too little, too late. That would have been good before the holidays, but now we need step one. Otherwise, we will see triage, and the premier and the minister can open all the beds they want. We don't have the rent for critical care to take care of uh, the patients. Uh, and in other sectors, too. So, you know, they say they will use home care to help. Well, they decimated home care. Home care is decimated. There are no RNs almost left in home care. So, you know, you pay the price later on when you don't listen to the experts. And in nursing, we are the experts. When the hospitals don't have room to take care of critical patients, horror stories start to pile up. And you can see that on your Twitter feed. My disabled brother's cornea transplant has been delayed until 2023. It was supposed to be done in 2021. He has almost completely lost his vision and is also without necessary home care because of COVID. So many people are suffering and it's so far reaching. Another tweet from someone seeing the healthcare system in disarray. My mom's cancer surgery has been postponed in Ontario. She's in pain. I'm hurting watching this unfold. What can we do? Feeling powerless and let down. The more time we wait, the worse the outcome. And a third one. Heart surgeries postponed due to a staffing crisis. Don't tell me one more time that Omicron is mild. The implications are far-reaching and in many cases, devastating. 
there are lots more too. Just take a look for yourself. Omicron is less severe than previous variants, but the sheer numbers are what becomes the problem. The effects of Omicron running rampant are widespread, and they aren't slowing down. Through no fault of the nurses and doctors, they can't provide adequate care to the people who are needing it the most in some situations. This in and of itself takes a toll on them. The feeling they have when they want to help everyone who needs it, but they just can't. Some people understand this and sympathize, and others, well, they don't. If you look at social media, uh, which we all do these days, uh, the public is super, super in support of nurses. I mean, after the interview that went viral that I did on CBC or other colleagues of mine have done, including my president today, uh, who lives in London, by the way, did a fantastic interview. These interviews are getting, you know, so much appreciation from the public. Patients is a different situation. Many of them are uh, respectful and thankful for the care they receive from nurses. Uh, others, especially when you get people that are anti-vaxxers, uh, you know, they're still very upset that they end up in the hospital. They don't believe that this is because of COVID, and you know all that just, right? Uh, and that affects, of course, nurses and affects doctors and affects others. You're trying to help people. Uh, you know, some of them as they're being intubated. I mean, it breaks my heart. Finally, they say, give me the vaccine. But some of them, even when they're being intubated, the families are being, you know, horrendous. I understand that people are frustrated, that they're angry. And I, and I, and I admit to feeling some of those emotions myself. I think that what we have found in, in the healthcare space is that some of that is being taken out on physicians as well as the physician staff. And so secretaries, for example, who are answering calls uh, are often on the receiving end of a lot of that abusive uh, rhetoric that, that we're finding. And I think that that needs to, to be curtailed. I think that, yes, the, 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 the pressure is, has been ramped up and people are feeling like they're at their wits end. Um, and physicians and other healthcare workers are here to try and do as much as we can to provide the care that we know is going to be important for their, uh, for their health. All facets of the healthcare system are feeling pain and struggling right now. And while everyone should be treating their nurses and doctors with kindness and respect, when the frustrations do get the best of people, Doris Grinspun says she doesn't blame the patients necessarily. She holds the premier responsible for some of the things that are happening. So it's a mix of reactions and... You know, I mean, not that we, not that any nurse, nurse will like it, but I'm not going to put the blame, nor will nurses, on the people of Ontario, on patients. We are going to put the accountability where it belongs, which is with the person that runs the show, and that's the premier, and he can do a lot more to ensure that nurses get once again energized as they always were before his bill, and this pandemic, they are warning about what we warned already two months ago and then before the holidays when we plead to the premier to actually clamp down in all the gatherings, in the, you know, shopping spree, et cetera, so that we could come back and manage this pandemic without closing schools. Instead, what we did, though, is leave everything as normal and now we need to close schools, which none of us want, but we have no other option. But the next step is even worse because uh, hospitals are getting already into using code orange, which never was intended to be used for staffing issues, and yet they're using it as a sign of desperation. And we are not even at the tip of this, you know, pandemic of this Omicron uh, rise. And now we are paying the price that on top of that, 
23 months pandemic and a bill, Bill 124, that the Premier uh, is stubbornly, stubbornly uh, keeping. He should repeal that bill, and we have said it for, for, for quite some time. So he needs to do it now. Otherwise, yes, he's right. There will be a full-blown crisis. Uh, a system collapse is crumbling in front of our eyes now. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a man-made collapse called Premier Ford because he's stubborn. He doesn't listen to what's urgently needed, which is repeal Bill 124 and move to stage one. Bill 124 is something that nurses in this province cite regularly when it comes to how they're feeling about the province's handling of the pandemic. Here's what it is and what it means for nurses. Shift to the rules will not help because the more you make nurses exhausted, the more they will get sick, whether it is from contracting the virus, you know, uh, Omicron, or uh, because they will break down simply out of exhaustion. So, you know, I mean, they can push all they want, what they need is to push up, not to push down. I call it push up. Push up to the Premier's office. Push up that he repeals Bill 124 to energize nurses that they are respected. So the energized nurses will give you way more without pushing them to, to come out of isolation. Push up the CEOs finally to speak up. Have you heard one CEO saying repeal Bill 124? No, because they're all afraid of the premier. Well, where is the OHA? Is the OHA saying publicly? Publicly. You know, they sent me a letter, which we will put public pretty soon, but they sent a letter saying that they never supported Bill 124. Say it publicly. Don't say it to us. Say it publicly. And the premier needs to get off his uh, tantrum with Bill 124, repeal Bill 124, energize nurses, Thank nurses by the name of their profession, nursing. Don't call them staff. Nurses get offended by that. All staff are important, but the 124 by 7 are the nurses, uh, you know, RNs, RPNs in long-term care, uh, nurse practitioners. Uh, in ICUs, it's RNs, all of them. In critical care, it's RNs, all of them. And that's where the crunch is because we are the lowest RN per population. Again, this was failure by design by design because we warned government on and on and on time to act now because if not ontarians will suffer and so will my colleagues it's very difficult but it also is a you know we are we are a privileged country that ignores what dr tedros from who has been saying all along vaccine equity until we don't achieve that, we are not safe. There is a new now variant in France. I don't know how bad it is, you know, or, or if it will uh, spread worse than Omicron. It seems that it has 47 mutations. This will not stop until we do vaccine equity. And that has to do with the federal government. But here in Ontario, there is something called respect equity. And respect equity means get off your tantrum, Premier, and repeal Bill 124 so you can energize my profession, and my profession I know will give, will give all as we have done it all along for 23 months. But the respect needs to start today uh, and cannot continue to wait. Grinspan says that repealing Bill 124 would provide immediate help to nurses and frontline workers and a much-needed renewed energy and enthusiasm for the profession. However, that's far from the only problem, according to Dr. Kassam. I think that what we're seeing now is that, um, you know, our system is 
when when push comes to shove, might not be able to to deliver service when it needs to, uh, especially in, in such a, a precarious and a turbulent time. So this, I believe, represents a tipping point to, to have a broader conversation about what we need to be able to do to transform our healthcare system and perhaps our society um, in ways for the future that can can ultimately provide not only more effective care, but better care and more timely care. And so right now we need to focus on shoring up uh, the infrastructure, bricks and mortar, but also more importantly, health human resources, provide funding, provide uh, the support, and ultimately focus on what a post-pandemic future might look like and should look like for the people of Ontario in this province. The pandemic's been awful for all of us, but the biggest thing is exposed is that our healthcare system was in bad shape even before COVID-19 got to Ontario. It needs to be fixed, but the damage is clear and the solutions may be difficult to agree on. What will they look like? Well, there will be years for debate and discussion as to what the COVID-19 pandemic response could or should have been in the province of Ontario. But for now, our healthcare system needs some assistance and assistance may not be coming. This episode of the 519 podcast was produced by Haley Chang, Craig Needles and Patrick Magermans. Remember, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. The 519 podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.